hello, hello. And uh, welcome to this week's edition of the Slimcast with me, Ginger Slim, aka Tim Fish. My government name. Um, hopefully, an improved episode this week because I've invested a bit of money in a in a microphone. Um, the one I had before was very much a no frills, basic level, and I've gone for a Zoom H1N, which looks a bit like a glorified dictaphone. Um, but it was recommended to me by Owen, the man who was responsible for trying to. Um, improve the audible trash I record every week um, and so yeah hopefully things will improve for you guys out there and give you an altogether better quality sound experience um, yeah I hope you're all surviving I am I'm alright feeling a bit shit recently uh, health wise very lethargic lots of joint aches um, and it's getting a bit more frequent than I'd like, so I'm going to go and have some blood tests done. Nothing to worry about, it's just, it's just a bit boring. Um, I want some energy. Um, so yeah, that's, I won't dwell on that for too long. Um, other than that, not much to report. Planted some broccoli this morning, you'll be pleased to hear. Um, I've got quite a lot of veg on the go in the polytunnel, but, um, because of the, uh, um, abundance of rain we've had and not much sunshine it's not been very quick to grow so um, things are improving though but I've got the broccoli in the ground now I've got those potatoes on the go um, some cucumbers some french beans some lupins, flowers um, spinach I'm trying some garlic but I don't know how it's going to work um, yeah some yeah, good good things and this is I've never done this sort of stuff before this is all a, a first run for me so anything that I managed to make make grow and eat will be uh will be a win for me so um yeah happy happy days um slugs are a problem as always but uh we'll get there we'll get there um as for my updates what have I got for you um Music-wise, I would be on the lookout for the forthcoming album from Dat Kid and Ill Informed. Um, if you're into UK hip-hop, you will no doubt be aware of both of them. Um, but I've just done some work for the album, which is out, I think, next month. Um, but I did some work on the PR side, and so I spent a bit of time listening to it, and um, it's a proper... Yeah, it's a good one. It's a very, very good one. Um, that is so good on the mic anyway and ill-informed is that sort of head nod connoisseur so um yeah a lethal partnership and one that i very much enjoy um so yeah keep an eye out for that it's called whackmo which is straight out of the bristol slang book um which is good to see being brought to a national international level <laughs> um Books-wise, I am still reading Chaos, which is the one about Manson murders by Tom O'Neill, investigative journalist, and it's blowing my tiny mind. Um, I'm about halfway through now, and it's, I mean, it's a quarter of the way through, and it was already giving you um, new evidence. I mean, just, I don't know, I don't know what, well, I do know what happened, I won't go into too much detail, but the reason, like, so much stuff was just ignored or overlooked or suppressed or whatever, for whatever reason. Um, and it's casting doubt on the whole trial, basically. Not 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 his in, not his conviction. Like he's definitely guilty, but the reasons behind the murders and what happened to bring them about. Um, if you're not aware, I mean, you should be aware of what happened in the murders. But Sharon Tate, who at the time was married to Roman Polanski, big film director, she was an actress, um, and she was murdered alongside four or five of her friends at her home in the um um in the sort of Hollywood Hills is it Hollywood Hills? I don't know if it's classed as that area, but in Los Angeles anyway. By um Charles Manson's um family members. The family is what he called his his cult, for want of a better word. And um 
then there were two more murders the following night by some more members of the family. Um, they were the Libyanka murders. Um, that was an, a couple, a married couple, who seemingly had no collection to Manson um, or Sharon Tate, but it's all linked, as you will discover if you read the book. And the original premise for the murders was because um, they the murderers wrote pig at the scene um, in the blood of Sharon Tate and they read it on the wall um, and Manson said in the trial that he wanted to trigger a race war um, by blaming the Black Panthers for the um, for the murders uh, pig obviously a slang word for police officers um, that can probably be traced back to African American ebonics um, I don't know if that is the case, but it's definitely a common um, word from their lexicon. So, yeah, he was trying to frame them. Um, and he was a big believer in that. And I will not go into... He was a massive racist, basically, Manson. Um, and he thought that the black black people were here to serve white people and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I'm not going to go into the things I've discovered through this book, because it's just... it's. It's a complicated web of intrigue. Um, but yeah, read it if you're into that sort of thing. Or read it if you're not into that sort of thing, because it's it's just mind-blowing. And it's just getting to the stage now where um, the CIA, possible CIA and FBI involvement is coming into it. And that was completely um, missed out of the trial and all the proceedings. Um so it's just fascinating. I think I think eventually it's going to get into the CIA mind control techniques, which they used LSD. Um, if you're aware of any of that sort of stuff, um, I've forgotten the name of the project, uh, famous project. But yeah, that was very much a real thing that the CIA did, and um, I think that's about to be brought into this um, this story as well, which will be fascinating for me. Um, I'm also rereading. The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler, who you might remember me talking about uh, in my book episode. Um, the Big Sleep was his first Philip Marlowe novel, um, turned into a film with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Um, so yeah, classic 1940s, 1930s, 1940s LA detective novel. I'm rereading that just because I like it. And um, I bought a big sort of three-in-one set of novels um, because I think I've given away quite a few of my copies of his books, which I do tend to do quite a lot. <clears throat> if you're ever in the mood for swapping books, hit me a, hit me up on DMs because I, I send books out to people quite a lot and um, it's something I like to do. And I've actually got, I mean, I've got like 30 books here now, which is a lot to be carrying around me when I'm not even in my... Uh, in my own country <laughs> but um yeah anyway i digress uh what else i've been watching uh i don't really talk about tv much which will change actually with this with this episode as you'll hear but um <clears throat> excuse me i've been watching um or i watched the nevers which is a new sci-fi series set in victorian england which has been smashing um america by storm taking america by storm um it's an hbo series so plenty of sex and violence and bad language, which is always good. Um, and it's made by Joss Whedon, 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 I don't know. Um, one of those names I've always seen written down but never heard said out loud, so I'm not sure. But he is the man behind um, programs that I have now forgotten completely. Did he do, did he do Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Am I, am I making that up? Have a look. Um, oh, we did Justice League. Oh well, <laughs> never mind. No, we did do Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, um, I mean that is you know, it's it's not bad <laughs> for what it is. Uh, and he's very good at doing like emotional. Um, he's very good at pulling on the heartstrings. Anyway, the Nevers is set in Victorian England, and it's about a group of women who find themselves with mysterious powers after this seemingly intergalactic 
force lands on the earth and um, yeah after which they have powers which aren't particularly nice a lot of the time or aren't particularly easy to live with um, and obviously society shuns them the same you know that age-old shunning of mutants or anyone with differences um but yeah it's only it's 12 parts 12 episodes but it's divided into two six part um sets so i've watched the first six sets first six episodes which are on uh now tv if you've got now tv i'm sure there are other slightly less legal streaming services available um but yeah, it's, it's very good. Um, quite ridiculous in parts, but I don't mind that. It fits with the bill quite well. Um, but it's also very action-packed. And there were a couple of moments where I was completely taken aback with what had just happened. Um, so yeah, watch that if you're into that sort of thing. And also, um, I've got into... Because I love Sherlock Holmes. Um, I'm into the novels, the short stories I've read... I think all the short stories, or at least... I think he wrote, wrote like 60 short stories in total. And I've read at least 40 of them. Um, and there's been lots of adaptations over the years, lots of films. Um, but there was a an 80s series, or s- set of series. Um, I think the main one being The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. But it was made by Granada and shown on ITV in the 80s. And I think it might still be shown today, or maybe on ITV2 or ITV3, one of those satellite channels but um yeah it's just really weird and uh very 80s and um some of the effects are cool and some of the shots are really cool as well like just the way it's it's filmed um and the guy who plays sherlock jeremy brett is delightfully weird um and it's just a great i don't know it's it, for me it's, it's my perfect sort of binge watching um and there's seven seasons of it on youtube in one massive playlist if you want to go and um go and explore that just type in sherlock holmes 1984 which i think when it started and it should bring it up um and it's all the classic you know sign of four scandal in bohemia hand the baskervilles um the yeah all, all, all the classics basically um so yeah go and uh so just having some coffee. Go and um, explore that if you're into Sherlock Holmes. I I I re- I'm a big fan of the contemporary series as well with um, Benedict Cumberbatch, um, but this is a lot different and a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> I'd say like the the contemporary series is very good. It's very well done. It's very well written. Um, it's not strictly um, loyal to the original stories, and it contains sort of elements of different ones in each episode. Um, but it's a different thing completely, so it's a different entity, so it doesn't the comparison doesn't necessarily need to be made, but I just prefer this weird eighties vaguely trippy in parts um version. Uh and yeah, just some just some good 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 storytelling. Um and I want to stick with T V because this week's episode is going to focus on um, one of my favourite shows of all time, a cult classic, um, and one of the most widely talked about and misunderstood um, shows of all time, which is Twin Peaks. Um, wrongly called David Lynch creation. I mean, it is David Lynch is the director um, and the overall creator but it was written by him and a guy called mark frost um and that's worth mentioning because frost is definitely the the more accomplished storyteller so the linear narratives that you find within twin peaks which aren't really a trademark of lynch's work that's all down to um mark frost and then it was sort of david lynch's imagination which drove the actual production and the direction sorry i should say on set and that's what made it sort of weird brilliance um i will say now that if you've not seen it then there will be a lot of spoilers in this um podcast i 
do think there needs to be a time limit on spoilers. Um, this was broadcast in 1990, and if you haven't watched it by now, then you can't really complain to me about spoilers. And I am giving you fair warning anyway. Um, but it will ruin quite a lot of the uh, twists and surprises if you carry on listening without having seen it and then go to watch it yourself. So that's up to you. But um, I will give a sort of brief overview of what it's about for those of you who haven't seen it and want to carry on listening. Um, ostensibly, it's about the murder of a high school student in a small town in America. Um, she's called Laura Palmer. Um, and it's... Um, yeah, sort of a murder mystery thriller about her um, murder and the sort of mission to solve the crime by an FBI agent, FBI agent called uh, Dale Cooper, um, played by Carl McLaughlin, who was a regular in Lynch's films. If you've seen any David Lynch films, but you haven't seen Twin Peaks, there are a lot of similar themes at work. Um, so Carl uh, McLaughlin was the lead in Blue Velvet, um, which, again, there's some similar themes um it's quite all lynch's work is very dark it's very sexual um it's very violent very sexually violent in places um it's also not the easiest work to follow um it's not if you're a fan of linear narratives that make sense then it's probably not for you but if you are someone who can just watch something because it's interesting and is visually arresting and intriguing and you don't necessarily need the answers then it's definitely something for you and that goes for Twin Peaks in a nutshell um, I would say um, as we'll get to later but yeah so the the series is primarily about the murder of Laura Palmer but it's much more than that and it becomes this sort of almost soap opera like drama that spreads out across all the whole town and all the different relationships and how they're intertwined and all the double crossing that's going on and all the affairs that are going on um, and then it also just goes into these weird fantasy elements and horror elements um, which deal with the sort of evil of man um, and where that stems from um, good and evil is something that recurs in his work, in Lynch's work again. Um, I mean, again, in, in Blue Velvet, if you've seen that, like Carmel Clockton's character is very much the good, and then um, Dennis Hopper's character is very much the evil. Um, and it's about the sort of the eternal struggle between those two polar opposites. Um, so, yeah, it started off with a seven-season series, a seven-episode season, sorry, um, and then became so popular it came back with a, I think, 22-episode season for season two. Um, it was first broadcast in 1990. I think the premiere date was April the 8th. Um, I'm a Twin Peaks geek, so I do, I do know things like that, which will not interest many of you but um, I just lodged in my memory um, and I will say the main focus of this will be about the original Twin Peaks I, I will I will talk about Twin Peaks The Return um, which was commissioned and broadcast 25 years after the original um, which in itself is is quite interesting as we will come to later um, so yeah, to give you, this is going to be quite a geeky, a lot of backstories, a lot of behind the scenes stuff, a lot of stuff about the production. Um, I've watched a lot of documentaries about Twin Peaks and the making of it. I I first came across it, I mean, I remember when it was on, when it was on TV at the time, I mean, I was only 10 or 11, so I didn't, I didn't watch it, but um, I remember my mum and my granny discussing it, as I'm pretty sure the whole world was when it was on, well they were, because it 
made so little sense in parts um, that, and it was shown in the, in the week, so people could discuss it at work the next day. Um, but I vividly remember my mum, my grandparents being confused by it, and the sort of that was a national confusion, international confusion that spread to every country where it was shown. And the the question of who killed Laura Palmer was like one of the biggest questions of that era. Um, and it's that's that's a much like her just her that her image and that question have been in itself have got this sort of cult following. Um you do find out who the killer is eventually, um, which we will get to later. Um but yeah at the time it was like this huge like unprecedented interest in a show and it was there was nothing nothing on TV had ever been made like that before. Um, just because of the way it was constructed, the way it was written, um, it was very much a groundbreaking format, and it just captured the imagination of a lot of people, even if they didn't really understand what what the hell was going on. Um, I think I first came across it myself. I think the memories of my mum and my grandma stuck with me until I was old enough to watch it myself. I was not into watching horrors when I was younger. I was quite a nervous kid, as I've said in the past. Um, and so there was, yeah, things that I just didn't, I didn't really care for. I didn't find much enjoyment in them. Um, not that it's like a proper horror, but it's, 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 it's fun enough. Ironically, it's now, it's now exactly the sort of horror I like. It's this sort of psychological um, weird not gory just not jumpy just like weirdly unsettling and um, yeah it was um, a very interesting thing in- intriguing thing for me um, and I think the first thing I got sh- ever shown of Lynch's was The Lost Highway which is a sort of metaphysical thriller that he made in I think 97 and one of my friends who was really into film at the time showed me that film and um, was sort of heralding it as a, as a work of art and this masterpiece and I just didn't understand it at all and that was back when I was younger I, I had to I had to understand I had, there had to be an understanding of things for me to like them basically I was quite I was quite straightforward like that and quite a purist like that um, it took me a long time to accept things for, accept art for what it was. If you see what I mean, like I wasn't really into um, abstract art. I mean, maybe it was probably just me taking drugs that that changed my my view of that. Um, so yeah, I watched The Lost Highway and didn't understand it, and I think that put me off Lynch's work initially. I was probably seventeen or eighteen at this time. And I got into my 20s and I think I watched Twin Peaks, maybe with my girlfriend at the time, and just fell in love with it. Um, I think I've seen like the the original two series, I think I've seen them maybe maybe 10 times all the way through. Like I watch it a lot, um, maybe once a year or once every two years. Uh, the Twin Peaks Return, which came out in 2017, I've seen twice all the way through and I'm actually re-watching it now um, because uh, I realised I hadn't spent as much time with it as I perhaps should have done compared with the other seasons um, it is a lot darker um, but I'll, yeah, I'll, t- I'll talk about that in, in a bit um, so yeah the the whole thing came about because um ABC, the network, were um, languishing in last place. There was only three networks in the time, in America at the time, back then. And they were sort of languishing in last place behind the other two. I'm not going to attempt to guess who they were. I'm assuming NBC and someone else. Um, and so David Lynch and Mark Frost, I think they'd met a couple of years earlier and had always got along. They were working on different things at the time and they were asked to um, come up with a pilot for ABC. Like ABC were looking for new stuff to you know, win them 
more of the uh, viewers and so they approach Lynch and uh, excuse me for us to develop a pilot the original name for that was going to be uh, Northwest Passage um, because it's set in the Northwest Passage of uh, America which is up by I think it's up by the Canadian border so like Washington State um, and that changed when they drew I think Mark Frost drew a map of the town um, as they were writing about this uh, this story um, and they envisioned these two this is sort of the town sitting between these two mountains and that's where the name came from for Twin Peaks um, the, the reason they drew the map is so they could have a better idea visually of what was going on within the town and how it connected um, I don't know if that's a common thing that writers do but um it's quite a good idea, I think. Um, and I think at the time there was sort of no expectations for it to go beyond the pilot because they don't really have expectations like that when you're writing a pilot. Um, so they just had as much fun as they could when they were writing it. Um, and so, yeah, they just started writing these this 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 storyline surrounding the, the death of Laura Palmer. Um and then um Yeah, they had to um sorry, I'm losing my losing my track. Um Yeah, so they had um they had um this idea um and as I said before, there was nothing else that had ever been made like that on TV before. Um, when it came to doing the casting, um, so, so, so sorry, first of all, the, the, the pilot got actioned, um, which, so from script level to, to being actioned to be filmed by the network, um, and which was quite a surprise to them, but at the same time, it was... Um, a nice surprise, um, and they um, basically told the network that they needed to have completely free reign um, in terms of creative direction. They didn't want to be hassled by anyone from the network. They knew from the studio, they just wanted to be able to do things as they wanted, which I think is quite a common theme with Lynch. Um, he famously, when he approaches um, networks or film companies with ideas for films, he will give as little information as possible. So for his most recent film, Inland Empire, um, I think he told studio executives that it was just about a woman who's in trouble. Um, that was it. And uh, But because it's Lynch, he often gets the, gets the commission anyway. Um, and so, yeah, they were given free reign. Um, and... This was in the era of the 80s, 90s TV when everything was quite, I don't know, that's the era of, era of Miami Vice and um, things like that. So it's quite a polished show um, and there was a lot of um, like soap opera sagas and stuff, which Twin Peaks incorporates a lot of that, um, that sort of, even with the music itself. Um so yeah, they were just trying to they were just trying to gather together. It was like there was police procedural um, elements in there as well. Um, so it's like this sort of smorgasbord of all these different elements from other other areas of TV and tropes from TV um, sort of put together in this one one show. And um, when it came to casting, um, casting I'm, I, again, I don't know if this is how Lynch normally does things, but there was no read-throughs or scenes. Um, Lynch would just sit down with the picks that the casting director had made for him um, and would just talk with them about, you know, what they enjoyed doing in life. Um, um, I mean, with the girl who played Laura, he said to her, you're going to have to spend a lot of time wrapped in plastic and 
um, not wearing very many clothes on a beach because that's how she gets found on the shoreline. That's how her body gets found. Um, will you be okay with that? She said she was fine. Um, I think she was quite young at the time. She was like one of her first sort of roles. And Lynch has already made a name for himself because I think he'd done Blue Velvet at that point. Um, and that had been critically acclaimed. Um, and so, yeah, it was very, very instinctual. Um, there were, in fact, yeah, it was Cheryl, yeah, Cheryl Lee who plays Laura Palmer. She didn't actually know if she got the job afterwards. She had to ask someone else because I think they just sort of finished talking. And he was like, okay, then good. See you soon. And then got up and walked off and, and, uh, she had to ask another <laughs> member of the crew if she got, if she got the job and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, come back, come back whenever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then uh, people like Ray Wise, who ended up playing Laura's dad, um, he was reading, um, sorry, not reading, he was auditioning for what he thought would be Sheriff, uh, the part of Sheriff Truman. Um, that's who he thought he'd make a perfect role for. Um, and then he got cast as Laura's dad, and he was sort of reading through the script, and there was just lots of scenes of um, Leland, that's the name of Laura's dad, uh, Leland Palmer um, just crying, so he just thought that's a lot of, a lot of crying involved compared to what I was expecting. But um, yeah, I mean, as you've if you've seen Twin Peaks, then you will know that it was the perfect role for him. Um, and we'll get to more of that in a second. Um, and like things like Shelley, um, who is one of my favourite people in it. Um, there was no role for Shelley. There was no Shelley character, but they liked her so much as an actress that they wrote this role for her um so it's just quite an interesting way of of casting the show um but i get the feeling that's kind of the way with everything that lynch does um in terms of production and direction um not much from the you know the rule book so to speak um yeah very much a man of his own own way of doing things um then they came to look for the town itself the location so they went scouting for locations and they tried a few places um and they had a vision for what they wanted um the town to um include things like the gas station and the hotel and the sheriff's office and then they found this town um i've forgotten what the actual name of the real town is um but it's in washington state and it had everything that they had pictured and it was it was quite spooky because it had this even had this the, the hotel overlooking the waterfall which is something that they envisioned and it was almost something like they dreamt about it um so yeah um and they found this, yeah, so they found a place to, to start filming. Um, I don't think there was much filming being done in Washington State at that time. Um, it was quite a... It's because it's so far out of the way, um, especially so far from, from L.A. Um, and um, and California as a whole. So, um, yeah, I think the residents are quite unsure of what to expect, but it brought in business because obviously the crew and the cast would be... Um, needing food and 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 uh, places to stay and everything, so um, in that respect, I think it worked quite well. Um, and also, the car said it was a very spiritual place because there's a strong Native American um, history up there. Um, a lot of the cast felt that they were. Um, I think they all had very strange dreams the first night they arrived. Um, and yeah, it just felt very magical and spiritual, which ties in very much with, with the storyline itself. Um, there's a huge connection in the story to the woods, um, these huge sort of pine forests, um, and a lot of the evil happens in the in the woods, in the story, um, and it just felt like the perfect place for this for this thing to be to be made. Um, as they were filming it, the 
basically the studio had said that obviously if it doesn't get picked up then they will be showing the pilot as a sort of standalone film um and so they needed to come up with a um an ending um which obviously doesn't happen in the season until um much later on you don't find out who killed um Laura but so they had to come up with this ending and so they wrote this scene with um with Bob and the red room and the man from another place um if you've seen that it was um if you've not seen it sorry you've probably seen it mimic before in things like the simpsons um who shot mr burns where homer has that dream and lisa's talking to him backwards in the red room um burns is suit that one um and that all stems from twin peaks um and in fact so the man from another place is the um the little person who does the dancing and he's sort of the main character within the red room which is a part of the black lodge um which is a sort of junction between the real world and the spirit world um and yeah in in all all the scenes that are shot in the red room are they're shot backwards and then the tape is played backwards so all the movements come out forwards but look really disjointed but even the speech is done backwards so um but not just like if you try and say i don't know if you try and say a word backwards that's fine but then if you play it forwards it won't necessarily sound like the word should sound so to get it phonetically correct is a whole other ball game because it's like it's next level complications um especially if you've got like different vowel sounds within words it's quite a complicated thing to master and the man from another place the man who played him had actually done a study on it at school and i think he'd taught his classmates how to do it and so he was able to teach the cast how to how to do this backward speech um that comes out is then yeah is then, is then played backwards and comes out in this sort of weird um reverse sounding yeah speech pan is it's very it's very uh very interesting um and yeah but that that whole that whole idea was come up they came up with that for the for the ending um and in the pilot um it ends up in the boiler room in the sort of basement and um um Mike, who has one arm, who was originally Bob's um, sort of spirit partner killer, um, shoots Bob and kills him. And that's the ending for the um, pilot. Um, But that was only written for the pilot if it wasn't commissioned in the end. So it doesn't really work as an ending. but it was it was what they put forward for the for the studio and um yeah when when it came to test the movie um i think the the initial um viewings were hated and um no one understood it and it didn't make any sense um but then they added on the ending and with the with the backwards talking and the and the red room and the spirits and all that and suddenly the studio were fascinated um and they commissioned the series um which yeah becomes a sort of running theme with the whole thing as it gets shown um that sort of fascination and confusion um when it came to shooting the first season they could not afford to shoot up in washington state um so they hired a warehouse in la i think in the san fernando valley um maybe and um it was the first time i think that sort of thing had been done and they managed to build all the interiors in there so all the interiors you see in the show like the sheriff's office um inside the great northern hotel 
all of that is all done within the same warehouse and you just move around so it's like this whole Twin Peaks world in one massive warehouse um, the whole thing was very director driven which was pretty much unheard of for TV at the time um, and so each episode had a different director and the directors were invited back for all the post-production sessions um, which was again quite rare um, and they were also encouraged to bring their own touch to the to each episode and so that's why in the Great Northern um, dining room scenes you get a lot of different groups in the background I think there's one episode where it's a load of cheerleaders um, there's one where it's like a, a big band convention um, there's one where it's a barbershop quartet convention there's one where everyone's walking around with yo-yos um, it's just little, little little quirky things like that which are what makes the series so brilliant in my eyes um, just intriguing little tidbits have no impact on the story itself they're just there in the background and you're not sure why um yeah it's things like that that really that really add to it um and then yeah it came to actually debuting it on tv and it became like an instant success like i don't think any of the cast were totally prepared for making the series definitely not prepared for what was going to happen afterwards um who you know some of them were unheard of um some of them were season season tv stars um some of them have been in david lynch films before um but i don't think any of them were prepared for the sort of worldwide acclaim and obsession that it was gonna that was gonna come with it um like yeah like as i said the simpsons did a take on it um sesame street did a take on it called uh twin beaks where all the muppets had two beaks um Sales of cherry pie went through the roof because cherry pie was such a synonymous food item within the show, as was black coffee. Um, yeah, it just went exploded as like a national obsession. Um, as I said at the beginning, was you know how it was over here and in, in the UK, um, and yeah, just totally captured the imagination of everyone. Um, there were like Laura Palmer funeral parties where everyone would turn up dressed in wrap, wrapped in uh, plastic. <laughs> just things like that, just weird, weird little niche. Um, yeah, enjoyments that people got from it. Um, and as I said, it was shown during the week so people could talk about it at work the next day. It was quite rare for things like that to be shown in, in the week. I think it maybe was on a Thursday night. Um, and so the next day the papers would be running things like um, talking about it, speculating on what was going on. Um, there'd be adverts in papers saying who killed Laura Palmer and telling you what you missed in the last episode. Um, and the thing was, the thing with the with the murder was that no one, no one knew. I mean, David and David Lynch and Mark Frost knew, I think, from the start who the killer was going to be. But they didn't tell any of the cast. They didn't tell any of their family. They didn't tell anyone. Um, so this is like a proper, you know, they didn't tell the network, they didn't tell anyone. And so this became like a massive, a massive secret. Um, I mean, they all had their suspicions and ironically, Ray Wise, who played Leland Palmer, um, was really hoping it wasn't going to be him. Um, and I mean, that started to be the case with that, that sort of secrecy started to become the case with the whole whole plot so um as filming progressed the cast grew to new less and less um instead of like giving the entire script to them to read through they'd just be given their scenes to film and that would be it so they'd have to watch the episodes themselves to find out what was going on um it was all very secretive and um yeah protected by by lynch and frost um and in the last episode of season one, they wanted to make sure that they were given a second season. So they tried to cram in as many cliffhangers as possible, which is why you will see, um, I mean, it, 
it ends with Cooper, Agent Cooper, being shot um, and left for dead. Um, but there was also things like Nadine, Nadine's suicide. Um, there was the fire in the mill. Um, Leo was shot um, while he was attacking Bobby. Um, they just basically crammed in as many cliffhangers as they could to keep everyone intrigued. And then, um, luckily, it worked a treat, and so they were given the green light for a second season. Um, unfortunately, the second season is where it started to go downhill. Um, the network were pressuring them into solving the murder, um, revealing who the killer was, which is not something that was... Um, they That's not something they were looking to do as as quickly as the network wanted them to um but they had to sort of bow down to pressure i think they dragged it out as long as possible so i think you get to like um i think something like episode seven maybe seven or eight where the kid is finally um revealed to everyone um but um yeah, the build-up again in the second season for the cast, especially. Um, they didn't want to reveal who the killer was for the cast until the last possible moment. So I think it came down to like three different, um, three different endings. I think there was um, Benjamin Horn was one of the suspects. Uh, Dr. Jacoby was another of the suspects and Leland Palmer, Laura's dad, was another of the suspects and Lynch and Frost even filmed different endings and wrote different scripts to um, for each possible outcome um, so as to keep it hidden from the cast to that point um, and as I said, they'd known from the start who the killer was and the killer turned out to be um, Laura's dad, um, Leland, which was a massive shock to Ray Wise, who plays Leland, um, to the point where he was, I think, pretty distraught because um, he put so much into his role um, and so much emotion and so much connection to Laura that I think he was abhorred that like he would be responsible for for killing his own daughter but yeah they filmed it um eventually and it turned out that he was the killer um and i mean if you've seen the show then you will know that what those last episodes are like um i think we find out in a couple of episodes before the one where the police find out and the way it's revealed um basically and this is this is this is a lot of the appeal of the show to me is that it's like this evil malevolent spirit called bob who is actually possessing leland um and is making him do all these horrible things and he's been abusing laura since since she was young and um he's been doing evil things and making Leland do these evil things for, for years and years and years. Um, and yeah, there's this great scene where, um, Leland, I mean that, that this, this episode is one of the worst, it's one of the most brutal episodes out of the whole thing. Probably one of the most brutal things that Lynch has made. Um, but the, um, so this is long after Laura's died um, and her cousin Maddie is staying with them. Maddie was played by the same girl who played Laura, Cheryl Lee. And um, so her likeness sort of triggers Leland is doing something really horrible to her and he kills her. And But just before that, there's this bit where he's looking in the mirror and um, he's smiling to himself and then you see the reflection and it's Bob and that's when you first realise that he's he's the killer and just the way it was all done the the, the suspense of that is just um, it's perfect for me um, they had their misgivings about revealing the killer at all I think they, they want to keep it a mystery 
for good. Um, which I can understand why, but I think the way they did it was was very well done. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was bittersweet for for Ray Wise because he also meant that he'd leave the show because um, eventually he, um, yeah, he kills himself in quite a brutal way, and that last scene with him is is very emotional, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of emotion for him as well. Um, and so that sort of happened a third of the way into season two, and then after that, things just went downhill for the rest of the season I think they tried to do too much I'm not sure if it was even I think Lynch might have been working on um, Wild at Heart by that point which is Laura Dern and um, Nicolas Cage which is a great film if you've not seen it um, and Laura Dern and sorry um, yeah, Lynch was working on that and I think Mark Frost was working on Storyville um, and so they weren't spending as much time with the production as they'd like to have been able to um, so there were different writers involved and the plot lines just got so weird and a lot of them pointless like Nadine's super superhuman strength um, uh, the really annoying subplot with James Hurley when he takes off on his bike and hooks up with that widower um that's just a oh, it's just a atrocious um and it just seems to have this whole lack of direction um major briggs's um apparent alien abduction um i mean there were elements of things that could have been handled better and could have been interesting if they'd been given the time to to grow but these were just sort of not given much thought in terms of their future and there was just too much going on. Um, there was, yeah, the the, the sort of next big storyline is that this arch nemesis comes uh, back from Cooper's past, um, and even that wasn't as bold as it could have been. He just sort of gradually appears as the episodes progress, and it wasn't very striking. And I don't know, it wasn't. It just wasn't. It wasn't what we'd had previously, and it, it, I think the public felt that way as well um, at the time. And also, the network kept moving the show around, so they just kept changing the schedule. So it wasn't always on at the same time, or it wasn't. It was on like Sundays, and it was just. It was just a weird thing, um, and it was obviously being pushed back by by the network, who weren't happy with the with the ratings it was getting or whatever. I think I think the network had been bought out by a conservative ownership at that point and they weren't happy with the subject matter. So they put it down the put it down the, the schedule. Um so yeah there was just lots of things playing against it. Um it comes back around at the end, I think. Um I mean there was gonna be a storyline between um Agent Cooper and Audrey Horn, um some sort of relationship between them. Um, Carl McLaughlin who plays Agent Cooper says that he didn't like the idea of Cooper being involved with her because she was only 18 in the show um, but in actual fact I think it was more to do with um, so Sherilyn Fenn who played Audrey um, or who plays Audrey and Carl McLaughlin I think they were getting quite close but the girl who played um Ah, uh, what's her name? Um, Lara Flynn Boyle, Boyle who plays... Oh, I've forgotten her name. Laura's best friend, anyway. Um, her and Carl McLaughlin were in a relationship in real life, and I think she was quite jealous of um, Audrey and Cooper's relationship in real life, and so that's why she didn't want them to be together in the script. I think, anyway, I've got, I need to verify that. But yeah, so that's why that didn't get made, which could have been quite an interesting storyline, but... Yeah, there we go. Um, but yeah, it pulled it together by the end, and the villain, um, yeah, Windermill, who is who is the villain, he sort of um, wants to gain entry to the Black Lodge, which is where the Bob lives, um, the, the the malevolent spirit, 
um, and it's sort of this gateway to this the spirit world, but it's the evil spirit world. Um, and eventually he does, um, and then Cooper, by this time, is romantically involved with um, Annie, this girl who turns up, who's related to um, the woman who runs the diner, um, and the sort of final ending scene is Cooper trading his life for hers, and he agrees to stay in the Black Lodge, and Bob takes over his body, and um, the last scene is um, Cooper looking at himself in the mirror, and it's Bob in the reflection, and he headbutts the mirror, and he's laughing, and it's it's a very disturbing final scene, and I think the ending, that ending was perfect for what they were hoping would become season three, um, but it never got commissioned. Um, I should just say that the way Bob was cast, because I think the guy who plays him, I've forgotten what his name is, but he was maybe some sort of sound engineer or sound technician on the set, and um, David Lynch was looking for the perfect person to play the killer, and um, luckily or not for the guy on set, he... Um, walked past the camera and Lynch saw him and he was like, that's that's our killer. <laughs> that's how he got cast. I'm not sure if that's a compliment or not, but um, yeah, he plays a very good evil spirit in that and it's uh, yeah, some quite terrifying scenes with him. Um, but yeah, they never, they never got to make season three then. Um, that was until this Twin Peaks The Return was commissioned, I think by Showtime. Um, and it's made 25 years later and it's set 25 years later as well um, which is interesting for a number of reasons one of which is because in the original Laura Palmer says to Agent Cooper I'll see you again in 25 years this is in the in the, in the Red Room um, which is how the season 3 starts it's called Twin Peaks The Return Um because of the lack of network restrictions which came with filming for Showtime, I think, um, it means that there's a lot darker, it's a lot more sexually explicit, a lot more violent, um, and it's an altogether darker season. Um, it's still focusing on Laura Palmer, but it sprawls out into loads of other timelines um not timelines sorry um locations so there's stuff in las vegas uh, there's stuff in new york um and it's about cooper escaping from the black lodge and trying to get way, trying to make his way back to twin peaks um and yeah i think it's a very a very good ending to the whole saga um the actual ending itself is pretty terrifying and pretty weird. Um, there are, along the way, some of the most terrifying moments of the whole thing. Um, episode 8, for example, uh, part 8, I should say, is um, yeah, where you meet the woodsman. Um, a lot of it's shot in black and white, and there's a nuclear explosion. Um, in the sixties, uh, yeah. It's uh, if you if you've not seen the third season yet, and you've, you're a fan of the first two, then yeah, make sure you you sort that out because um, it's uh, yeah, very intriguing. Um, it's a lot more or a lot less clear, should I say, in terms of plot line. Um, there's a lot more to it that doesn't make sense, um, but I think that that's good. I think that's okay, um, and I also think that I mean Lynch himself. If you read interviews with him, if you've seen interviews with him, he's very um, he's a very amiable person. He loves talking about the production side. He'll talk about casting choices. He'll you know he'll happily talk about the the way the show is made but if you try and get him to explain the meaning behind any of his films or shows then then he's very reluctant to talk about them and so i think they speak for themselves a lot of the time i mean maybe there's cases where he doesn't know himself what he's filmed or what he's put together um 
and he's purely filmed it because of how it looks or how it fits in with the production. But um, yeah, I think that's okay, and I'm and I'm and I'm quite a big fan of that that approach to filmmaking. Um, and so yeah, if you're if you if you haven't seen the return yet, Twin Peaks Return, which I know there are quite a few people who haven't because I've spoken to a lot of Twin Peaks fans. Um, I mean, I know I haven't spent as much time with it as the originals, but it's definitely worth worth exploring. Um, that's actually on Now TV as well. I've recently discovered, so I'm slowly going through it again. But yeah, it's um, it's a very clever. There's there are a lot of connections with the first seasons as well. There's a lot of the same cast members. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the cast members had died in between. Um, I say a lot, a few. Um, so for example, in the first episode, you see. Uh, first couple of episodes you see the log lady um, and then I think she died either during production or by the time it was came to be aired on TV um, and so the first season is dedicated to her I think or the first episode is dedicated to her the actress Catherine Coulson um but yeah, and so in, in, in part eight, which I was talking about with the woodsman, um, there are parallels between that and episode eight from the original series, which was, I think, the first episode of season two. Uh, but yeah, there's certain shots which are the same setup, the same, like uh, where Cooper's lying on the floor after being shot. And there's Cooper lying on the floor in episode eight. Uh, and just lots of different, there's like four or five shots that are the same in both episodes, um, which I think I find things like that fascinating as well. Um, and that's, I guess you'd call that an Easter egg, maybe. I don't know. But it's just Lynch's genius at work. Um, but yeah, I would say, yeah, overall, it's a, it's an interesting an interesting ending to the saga um but if you're looking for a nice clean line drawn under it then you're going to be out of luck i'm afraid because it's um yeah i mean no it, it does it does it does bring it to an end but it's 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 uh it's a typical lynch <laughs> lynch ending is it's mark frost as well writing again for season three um so yeah it's the same it's the same magic it's just a lot darker and a lot more yeah a lot crazier but yeah I mean I think that's it for my ranting about Twin Peaks and my love for it um, I realised that was quite a geeky uh, quite a geeky monologue um, I'm sorry if it was too much for you guys <laughs> But uh, yeah, I just thought I'd share some some behind the scenes stuff um, about the production and how it was made. Um, I hope it wasn't too all over the place. I do get a bit excited about things like that, so um, I'm learning. I'm trying to keep things more calm and more linear. But uh, yeah, that's the subject matter itself isn't isn't that clean and linear, so maybe it suits it in that way. Um, as for um, future episodes, I'm not sure what they will entail, but um, I'm working on securing a couple of interviews. I mean, I've secured them. I just need to make make them happen. I'm working on the best way of doing that. Um, I know you can record quite easily on Zoom and Skype, I think, but um, yeah, I need to look into doing that because it's something I've never done before. But yeah, um, once again, thank you for listening. Um, and I hope you guys are all alright. Um, as usual, if you've got anything you want to speak to me about with regards to this episode or any of the past episodes, you can contact me on my DMs, uh, social media. On Twitter, it's at GingerSlim. And on Instagram, it's at GingerSlim underscore. Um, I'm always around. And if I don't get back to you straight away, I will do. I'm not very good at replying to people straight away. Um, I do that with family and friends, though, so please never never take it personally. 
Um, I'm very good at reading a message and saying, oh, that's nice, and then thinking, oh, I must reply, and then forgetting totally. So, yeah, apologies in advance if that ever happens to you. Um, yeah, um, there might well be another monologue of some sort next week, um, if I can find a worthy subject to talk about. Um, we shall see. But uh, for now, that is it from me. Um Go and enjoy Twin Peaks for the first time, or again, if it's something that you haven't watched in a while, I always recommend revisiting these things um, to get yourself in the mood. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this crazy little chatter about it. Um, yeah, but enjoy yourselves and take care of yourselves and each other, and I will see you again soon. Peace.